0: In the world as it exists today, I find it hard to conceive of a form of geoengineering that would be deployed in the interests of the poorest of humanity, as opposed to the interests of the richest.
1: Sustainable Babel 73.
2: 73. Crikey Moses, we are your friendly little environment podcast all about people and the planet and why can't we just try and not find it all so miserable all the time. And what have we got coming up this week? Oh,
1: well Dave, we have got an exceptionally undesirable podcast this week. We are going to be talking about the undesirable consequences of filling the planet full of aerosols and ash and oh i don't know all sorts of things where you try and figure it out uh, so that the carbon gets sucked out of the air and all of that we're going to be talking about the uh, the undesirable an unholy alliance between some mountain walkers in Scotland and some gamekeepers who want to take all the trees out of everywhere. And we're going to be talking about an undesirable object that made its way into the Australian Parliament. And I will say no more. Very good.
2: Oh, just the usual disclaimer, we do work for environmental charities, but these are very much our own views. So if you do not desire to hear any more of the things that we say, do not take it up with the people that we work for, but take it up just for us. Have
1: I made myself abundantly clear? (laughs) You certainly have. You certainly have. Right, let's crack on. Good afternoon. Can I help you, sir? (laughs) Yes, I would like some deodorant, please.
2: Ball or aerosol? (laughs) Neither. I want it for my armpits.
1: Things that make you go, Jesus,
2: shit Oh, God! I'm fixing a hole while the
0: rain gets in.
1: So, things that make you go Jesus shitting Christ, oh God! This is the section where our tiny, tiny brains get exploded, like a brainy version of Mr. Creosote. And what has, uh, well, what is the wapper waffer thin thing this week that has made our brains explode? It's this bonkers notion that um, we're going to refreeze the Arctic. Apparently. Well, it seems like a good idea. Go back and
2: listen to episode 66, where we talked to Icy Mark about why there is no Arctic left anymore. And that made us <laughs> yeah. go, Jesus, shit go
1: Christ as well, I seem to remember. <laughs> it did. It did. Well, and am glad you mentioned Icy Mark because he was a clever sciencey person. And we uh, therefore went to speak to another clever sciencey person to tell us all about this bonkers plan and whether it is in fact bonkers, but also to tell us in general what geoengineering is you know what fiddling around with the planet is really going to do so this is us chatting to the wonderful duncan mclaren who is a researcher at the lancaster environment center um and it's us asking him what on earth is going on hello duncan hello oliver Hello, thank you very, very much for joining us and joining us all the way from
0: Sweden. Indeed, and uh, it's still actually a bit snowy here, though we're we're starting to thaw into spring.
2: Wow, Sweden's like in the arctic sort of isn't it which is where there's been loads of stuff about in the news about geoengineering the arctic if i understand it properly so you're going to have to explain to us two things firstly what is geoengineering and secondly what are they going to do to the arctic
0: okay well geoengineering is a third category of response to climate change so people know about cutting emissions that's mitigation people know about adaptation, things like building seawalls, but very few people know that some are considering the idea of geoengineering. And geoengineering is something that's designed to reverse the causes or the effects of climate change. And the critical things to remember about geoengineering is that it's a large scale, it's intentional, and typically it's a technological intervention in the system.
1: So give us an example. What are we talking about here?
0: Okay, so the, the most commonly debated idea is to imitate what happens when a huge volcano go, goes off. It injects particulates, sulphates, into the high atmosphere, creating a sort of shading veil or, or um, shroud of particles that hang around up there because it's so high up for several years. And scientists tell us that that has, in history, cooled the planet by as much as one or one and a half degrees for that period um, when big volcanoes have gone off, like Mount Pinatuba. If I've got that right, so we, we would, what,
2: go in, like, in planes, lots of planes, and then just take lots of, essentially, ash or an equivalent to it and bung it into the sky. That's what we would do. And then go, there you are, that'll solve it. That's the idea.
0: Put crudely, yes. People have talked about and compared the ideas of doing it from planes, most of which don't actually fly high enough, um, doing it by putting it in artillery shells and using huge (laughs) guns to get it up there.
2: (laughs) Nothing
0: nothing could go wrong with any of this. Okay, (laughs) carry on. (laughs) Or inflating a huge balloon, a balloon the size of Wembley Stadium, uh, and attaching a big Hose to it, <laughs> and pumping a liquid slurry up the hose to twenty kilometers from, say, a, a huge ship or something like that. Um, those those are three of the the ideas. They sound insane, yes, but actually, they're amongst the more practical ideas. In in some respects, uh, other ways you could do geoengineering would be to launch thousands or millions of small mirrors into space, for example.
1: <laughs> and what would that do? That would be reflecting sunlight away from the Earth, is that the well, idea? I mean, I mean, you could lie in your garden and uh, see yourself looking back at you, that'd be
2: quite nice, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> You'd like that, all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One last time. These are small, but the ones out there are far away. <laughs>
0: There's two categories of geoengineering, and the the mirrors and the the veil or shroud effect, they're both what are called solar radiation management. They're, They're means to typically to reflect away sunlight. The other ideas that people think about are called carbon dioxide removal, and that's saying, well, we've got a problem. There's too much carbon in the atmosphere. Can we get it out of there somehow? So when
1: you say taking carbon out of the atmosphere, um, that's not just a big hosepipe, is it? Like, you know, attached to a hoover, just merrily sucking away. What are we talking about there? Because the only way I sort of understand is planting loads and loads and loads and loads of trees and then burning them, but capturing the carbon when you burn them and burying it underground. Um, and as I say it, I realise I possibly don't understand it. I put it to you that you don't understand it.
0: <laughs> well, I think Oliver's got a very good grasp of the, nah, uh, get the central the, 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 the central proposal here, the one that most much. of the market use is is an idea that says, okay, we we grow lots of plant matter, we burn it, and we put. What's called carbon capture and storage technology on the tailpipe of those those energy plants, um, strip the carbonate, bury it in geological formations or old say uh, saline aquifers underground. Um, unfortunately, that one, while it can maybe give us a bit of um, breathing space, if you like, it relies on being able to grow lots of biomass. And um, I suspect you gentlemen, I remember when, when biofuels were a thing and uh, how quickly taking a very small amount of the productive land surface to try and grow biofuels to, to feed into, a, into our cars and vehicles um, became a concern and a competitor for growing crops for food. And that, too, then leads me to this idea, yeah, unfortunately, we've probably got to go for what's called direct air capture. But it uses the same technology that has been tested on um, power power plant emission pipes. So we know it can absorb carbon from um, the atmosphere or, or a, uh, a mix of gases. Um, but you'd need literally millions of these devices
2: So I was reading then about the this idea that seems to be a genuine thing that some actual people appear to have thought with their brain, which is that the, there's a plan to go to the Arctic and cover it in was it ten million wind powered turbines to somehow well, re yeah, pumps, pumps yeah pumps to somehow refreeze the blinking Arctic right? Which sounds like is that can they do that? Is that a
0: thing? Is that going to happen? I'd be very surprised if that happened. But I've, I've heard the idea before, and I think I have to take a couple of steps back because the reason people think that's a good idea or something like that would be a good idea is because they're really worried about what might happen if the Arctic completely unfreezes, becomes open water. So if the Arctic's open water, it becomes a dark surface, and that absorbs more heat. And people are worried that there could be two or three uh, unpleasant feedback effects. That if the Arctic gets warmer, then um, the permafrost around it, the frozen lands around it would unfreeze, and that would release a lot of a very potent greenhouse gas called methane. Um, And even worse, possibly that um, methane that's held in big ice deposits under the ocean might unfreeze, and ideas like this one of pumping the the water onto the top of the ice so that it would freeze and thicken up the ice, um, yeah, that's that's geoengineering. It's it it doesn't even affect the global temperature. All it does is protect against this one particular or these two particular effects. Of the Arctic unfreezing. Um, the good side of that is that the side effects are probably less widespread and less severe than if you do things like pumping lots of sulphate into the stratosphere.
1: So, on that for instance, what are the side effects of pumping lots of sulphate into the atmosphere? And more importantly, Are people sure what the side effects of pumping lots of sulphates into the atmosphere are? Because that's the thing that scares me. At some point, the situation, (laughs) situation will get so bad that we end up just going, yep, just do it, just do it. And we'll do something massive that has an enormous unintended consequence that we can't undo.
0: The climate models have been built over years and they've been slowly improved in ways that makes them better and better at modeling the effects of having more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. There's been very little work done to tune them to improve their sensitivity to things like the sulfate concentration of the, the stratosphere. And as a result, most of the modeling is done by just sort of reaching into the model and turning down the sun. (laughs) it's as crude as it seems Uh so the models are very uncertain about what would happen to rainfall and what would happen to to regional climates all they can really tell us is globally yes we could probably reduce the average temperature the models when scientists tweak them carefully seem to suggest, oh, yeah, we could do this in a way that would make almost everyone better off. But, th- but that, implies, that implies not only that we know how much of this particulate to put in the stratosphere, but that we are somehow able to distribute it across the latitudes in the way we think is best, that we're able to distribute it across seasons that we, we put it up in the Northern hemisphere summer and the Southern hemisphere summer and not in the opposite seasons and so on. Um, and this is where I think the, a lot of the modelers have got themselves into cloud cuckoo land, that they, they have these imagined technologies, imagined ways of, of controlling them, and they've also imagined that we can monitor what's going on well enough to get a feedback loop to tell us what we should do the next year <laughs> in time to do it. Yeah. And these these things are all imaginary at the moment.
2: Are you saying the debates are not even worth having at the moment because we know so little about how it would work?
0: I, th- I think debates about deployment are definitely not worth having. We sh- shouldn't be considering doing this for real. Debates about researching it better, improving the knowledge base, make a lot of sense. As long as we can protect against the idea that some mad orange politician (laughs) isn't gonna grab the idea and say, well, that justifies not doing the mitigation because then it would be a problem, be a problem for everyone because imagine this scenario, that yeah oh yeah this this stuff we can we we can get this um this technology ready in ten or fifteen years and then it'll cool the planet by oh three degrees, four degrees. So we, we don't we can go on we can go on digging up fossil fuels, building pipelines, um we can sweat out the coal plant assets and the coal mines that we've built. Isn't that all good for the economy? Great, let's 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 save some money that we can spend on this in the future, um, and then it proves that we can't control this technology. We've stacked up another twenty years emissions, and we've discovered that we can't control it with with geoengineering. That that's my nightmare scenario. That, to be frank, is what most worries me about geoengineering. That in the world as it exists today, I find it hard to conceive of a form of geoengineering that would be deployed in the interests of the poorest of humanity as opposed to the interests of the richest, even these carbon capture ones. If those are deployed as a way to make it easier to go on extracting fossil fuels, that we say, oh yeah, in in decades time, we're gonna suck this back, then again, we we seem to slip into using geoengineering to sustain a whole set of um, neoliberal injustices that uh, could be tackled if we take a radical approach to mitigation and say, well, actually, the way we deal with this is by cutting the emissions of the richest.
2: Duncan, thank you so much for your fount of wisdomness. Um, I am now terrified about everything, which is generally the state we get into when we talk to experts about things. Um, So we shall have to stop doing that, it it never ends well. Um, How can people. I think our listeners
1: have had enough of experts.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's why they started listening to us in the first place. (laughs) Uh, How can people uh, get in touch with you, Duncan, follow what you're up to, and learn more about all of this crazy stuff?
0: So I'm on Twitter at uh, McLaren underscore ERC. Um, That's probably the best place to find me. Um, I am also for for more academic types on uh, academia.edu and ResearchGate, uh, two sort of academic interfaces uh, where people can find papers that I've written and so forth.
1: Babble of the week this is the section where we look for the egregious eco guff that has been spouted usually by ministers or companies or horrible horrible people who try to sound greener than they are who has been guffing this week dave
2: well oh this is a seamless link a Ooh. seamless link, me old chum, from what we've been talking to that there Duncan McLaren about. This is about geoengineering, sort of. Now, you remember how he said that like planting trees is a kind of form of geoengineering if you do like loads of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's basically what's been proposed up in that there Scotland, which is north of Watford. And uh, what <laughs> they've got up there is not many trees. Right. And they've got a big climate change ambition in that Scotland to like not be bad on climate change and stuff. And so they have proposed to increase by 50% the number of trees in Scotland. So they're going to like cover loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads, and loads of Scotland, which has not got many trees in it, in trees. And actually, well, hang on. Yeah.
1: And just you just want to be careful about that because we're not talking about covering 50% of Scotland. We're saying we're going from 17% of. Scotland being treed to 25% of Scotland being treed. Right. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Treed. Okay. Right. Point of order. There we Point go.
2: Point of order. Very good. Um, but this has got on the nerves of a couple of unusual allies. A couple of mm. people who would not usually be seen having a dram together around a fire. Um, Mountaineering Scotland, who climb mountains, and the Scottish Gamekeepers Association, who shoot birds in the face. Possibly. <laughs> allegedly. I think.
1: Um, I, and they've got to together. that's what a friend of the Babble, Chris Packham, would, uh, would characterise him that way, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, they've got together and they've said, uh, no, don't do that because we like the moorland as it is. Thanks, uh, basically. Haven't they? They have.
1: And I have got views. Oh, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I've got views about this. Go on then. Have you ever heard of something called the Caledonian Forest? Uh, No. Well, I'll tell you what it was. It was a forest in Caledonia. Do you know what Caledonia was? Uh, A
2: Welsh band had a big hit with Mulder and Scully in the
0: 1990s.
1: (laughs) Nice. Very nearly. No, it was (laughs) Scotland. It was Scotland. Caledonia, i.e. Scotland, used to be covered in trees. Absolutely. Have you, have you heard of a Scots
2: pine, Dave? Yeah, it's a, it's a thing that uh, my friend Kev does when I don't buy him a
1: drink. He goes, oh, I'm Scottish and I ain't got a drink. I've got oh, a new drink, Paul. Oh, I'm Scottish. <laughs> uh, gosh, we didn't take long to offend the Scots in this, did we? But I am offended because this whole idea that Scotland, that more, explicitly, more specifically the Highlands of Scotland look the way they currently do because it's natural is bulls? they used to be covered in trees they used to be covered in Scots pines it was a forested country and we ripped them down so I'm appalled that the mountaineering Scotland lot have got in with the Scottish Gamekeepers Association lot I, and, I, and I'm appalled I'm shocked and appalled and I'm going to write, write a strongly worded letter to somebody right that's it get out of my house <laughs> pardon? You heard? No, I didn't. Well, I'm not saying something like that twice, young man. Well, I can't do anything about it then, can I? <laughs> well,
2: you don't need to write a strongly worded letter, old because you have a podcast in which to strongly word yourself, and you're not thinking about the tourists. And that's what they're worried about. They're worried about the tourists. Where's sure where's, where's Arabella? Arabella, you live in Scotland, don't you? Yes, I do! So can you tell us... Arabella, please, uh, why they, uh, what, their, what their argument is for why we shouldn't plant loads of trees in Scotland.
0: Our concern is whether adequate weight is being given to the significant changes this will have on the landscape of Scotland, and in particular the dramatic open views and vistas which have come to signify to the outside world that which is unique about our country.
2: There you are, you see, you're not thinking about the tourists. Tourists come to Scotland because the outside world, which is dramatically open and has views and vistas, is unique about Scotland. So that's why people come there. And you're being ridiculous. And that's going to affect all the tourist industry and nobody will climb them mountains.
1: Well, the outside world as it currently looks. Yes, that's the point. The, it's that's like, a ridiculous it's
2: argument. Like, it's like if someone went to the Grand Canyon, right, and filled it up with concrete and put the world's best like indoor football pitch on that concrete, and people came from miles and miles and miles <laughs> around to play on the world's best indoor concrete football pitch built on what the Grand Canyon used to be, and then they said, "Well, hang on a minute, let's take that concrete away. People come for miles and miles to see our indoor football pitch. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> the
1: world's best football pitch. It's
2: an integral part of our heritage. And where's what? that? Where, where's that bloke from mountaineering school?" Scotland. What's his name? Neil Reed. There we are, Neil Reed. No, no, Neil I do, Reed. I do love this. What, what do the tourists do, Mister Reed?
0: They talk about this landscape. They don't talk about going for miles long wander through the woods.
1: Neil, Neil, <laughs> Neil. Neil, that doesn't make any sense. Of course, they talk about this landscape because that's what this landscape is. They don't talk about the woods that aren't there any more than they don't talk about the pangolins that aren't there or the (laughs) Formula One racing cars that aren't there. (laughs) Of course they don't talk about things that aren't there because they aren't there. They don't talk about bouncing
2: on trampolines, are Neil? Because there aren't any. There aren't any.
0: (laughs) They're not there.
1: I go up to the Highlands a lot. That's where Arabella's family live and it's where I've gone for years and years and years. And it's beautiful. Walking in the Scottish mountains is stunning. I don't dispute that. It's it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. But there's nothing
2: there. Except Arabella.
1: Occasionally Arabella is there and then, you know, the Highlands know about it. But when (laughs) she's not there, (laughs) there should be... This place should be teeming with wildlife. Think about what the Alps are like. The Alps are covered in trees and, and full of what are you making that face for? snow isn't it Sp- oh yeah, I suppose oh, under that in snow the winter yeah, okay,
2: very good, yeah, yeah
1: carry on as you were. Yeah. goodness sake, <laughs> it should be covered in wildlife, supporting a rich um, number and variety of species. but it isn't because people in tweed suits mainly have decided to keep lots of deer on it. That nibble all the trees and other th- things to make sure that there are just a few grouses you can shoot in the face. It's an artificial landscape and it is bizarre how little life there is there. So, Inhofe time, this is the section named after a senator in America who is a snowball-wielding idiot. And amazingly, thanks to one of our lovely listeners, Josh, we have news this week of another idiot who wields something completely different. He's going... In Inhofe Corner. Who is the idiot this week? Well, though?
2: he should probably be an anti-Inhofe, really, technically, even though he was being an Inhofe by being an anti-Inhofe. So I'm not sure whether, like, if an Inhofe is oh, being an anti-Inhofe... Oh, because he's doing the opposite of Inhofe. <laughs> yeah. I see, yeah. right, yeah. Because Inhofe oh, was crazy. waving a snowball around. This guy was waving a lump of coal around. He's a guy called Scott Morrison, who is an Australian politician, which means he probably sits in the front row and drinks beer and belches and swears a lot. <laughs> um, and he was basically... The point he was making... Um, well, have a listen to this.
1: Speaker, this is
0: coal. Don't be afraid. The Don't be scared. Won't the treasurer you. knows the rule on props. It's coal. It was dug up by men and women who work and live in the electorates of those who sit opposite.
2: Yeah, so that's what he was doing. He was basically going, uh, "We need more coal. Coal is good." Um, and uh, here's some coal. Here's what it is. Actual <laughs> coal. And then the speaker went to him, put that down. So he put it down. But that's
1: basically a, what the speaker it is. went to him. You're a grown adult human <laughs> yes. in a parliament. Stop waving around coal, you idiot! Oh God, this is just pathetic. This is pathetic because this is all about political point scoring, wasn't it? Because there's been blackouts in an area that is predominantly powered by renewables. I think that's what we're talking about, isn't it? So he comes in here and goes, "See, hmm? see, blackouts. You don't get that with coal." That's probably true. You just get massive climate change and air pollution and everyone dying. But no, you're right. You can do avoid blackouts. I did like
2: it. Uh, the the, the uh, a few days later, the uh, opposition
1: uh, did exactly the same thing, but
2: they got a solar panel out. Renewable. Uh. <laughs> That's what it looks like, Prime uh, Minister. That's what you should the, be waving around at this oh, box. The member for The, the member's oh, oh, to, member member. oh, to his level. No, oh, it's, great. Say. It's, great. Time, right, it's great. And all this time, right, the Speaker is sitting there and he's going like, oh, come uh, on. <laughs> he to said, he to said last Thursday, we this is my call Australian call accent, call an undesirable prop was used here in the House, and this has occurred again today. I'm just giving fair warning, this is not going to become a regular occurrence in the House.
1: Well, I bet it bloody does, copper. (laughs) So that is just about it for another episode of Babble 73. Blimey, thank you very, very, very much to the magnificent Duncan McLaren for telling us... Ah, oh, telling us how bad it all is, just from another very interesting angle.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, anyway, look, thank you to Arabella also for so nobly reading out the Babble and to the legendary Dickie Moore for the music that starts and ends and intertwinkles this here podcast.
1: If you would like to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at The Babble Wagon. You can search for Facebook for Babble or, like Josh and several others this week, thank you, you can email us at hello at sustainababble.com Fish.
2: Right, very good. Oh, I'm off. Uh, yes, you can, I know.
1: Aren't
2: you? <laughs> you, can, you can take your joy and your fun and you can put it up your bottom because I'm going away. I shall speak to you next week, old chum. In the meantime, have a thoroughly splendid week, wouldn't you?
1: I shall. Bye-bye. Bye.